Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Let's uh, let's let's go ahead and get started with a word of prayer. So, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Lord of the Sabbath, you gave your servant David, the bread of the presence on the Sabbath to teach him that you desire mercy and not and not sacrifice. Be, be, be merciful to us by healing us from all our sins and diseases that we may be, be merciful to others as you have been merciful to us. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we are in session uh, 16, second to last one. Um, and we're getting towards the end of uh, Romans here. Uh, so the, the, the focus of this session is that God sustains the work of his kingdom among us despite differences in culture or opinion, right? God uses all kinds of people uh, to do his work. So who wants to read those sh two short paragraphs there before that first question? Get us started off. According to the authors, Alan and Cheryl Kloss, nearly 100,000 ministers in the United States are experiencing career burnout. Constant battles and bad attitudes among church members have con contributed greatly to this problem. Many congregations have trouble calling or retaining a pastor because they cannot be at peace. Romans 14.15 shows Paul dealing with practical issues that were causing serious problems among the house churches at Rome. These matters... These matters involve dietary practices and worship days observed by Jewish and Gentile Christians. Paul's wisdom and insights provide practical guidelines for embattled congregations today. Okay, so why, that first question is, why is Paul, an outsider, able to speak so directly about this matter? You see that in chapter 15, verses 15 through 16. What did y'all put for that one? He's an outsider, but he was chosen by Jesus Christ. So mm -hmm. I think he got the knowledge from Jesus. Yeah. Um, yeah. Paul speaks because of the office that he holds, right? Mm -hmm. um, it's like, you know, somebody, if there were problems here at Resurrection... Uh, the circuit visitor might come by and have some words to say. He's an outsider. He doesn't go to this church. He doesn't know exactly who we are and things like that. But his words of correction or admonition or encouragement or whatever, you know, being from Scripture, are according to the office that he holds. Right. So he, it's it's if we only went off of who's. Who's one of us in this town or in this locality or whatever? It'd be a little tough, right? Then, then, then we'd be just totally insulated and not connected to the body as a whole. Right? Any other thoughts on that? Yeah, well, Christ told us, don't worry about what you're going to say because the Holy Spirit will give you the right words. 
Yeah. And I think that's where Paul's coming from. Mm-hmm. He's relying on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's giving him the intelligence and, and the knowledge as to what to express to the Gentiles. Mm-hmm. And Paul knows Scripture too, right? I mean, he uses it throughout this whole book. Yep. Very um, well versed in Scripture. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's funny because it's like Paul kind of went through some education when he was first called, right? He... It, it wasn't that he was on the road to Damascus, you know, had his, had his encounter with the risen Christ, um, went and was baptized and everything like that. And then immediately he was an apostle. He went away for a couple of years and he learned uh, and he looked at the scriptures again. And he's, he's, well, we assume this because he talks about this in Galatians, right? He says that for years he was taught by the Lord himself. Now, what that really means, we're not quite sure, uh, but we do know that um, that there can be a safe assumption that he went back and revisited the scriptures, the law and the prophets, especially learning from certain believers of what Jesus might have already said about the law and the prophets confess everything concerning him, and that he kind of went through a sort of a seminary education before he went off and uh, started proclaiming the gospel and salvation through Jesus Christ. So, um, but he was called by Christ himself, right? He, he, he was an apostle, um, maybe not in the most conventional sense, but still. Uh, so he has that authority based on the office that he's been placed in, right? Um, he bases his authority in God and in God's mission to the Gentiles, you know, to all people, right? Um, any other thoughts on that before we go on to the next one? No? Okay. So having laid the doctrinal basis for the Christian life, Paul directly addresses and describes the problem in chapter 14, verses 1 through 8. Uh, so when we go, these next few questions are from, are from that part, uh, when he says, who are you to judge someone else's servant? What's the answer there? We shouldn't judge each other. Okay. It's all about God. Mm-hmm. And the Lord, he says that, I think part of that is what he's saying. Some of you observe these traditions. What you're doing is because of, you want because of the Lord, you thank you thank the Lord because you're doing this, and the other one who does the the opposite thing is thanking the Lord mm-hmm. and doing the opposite thing. So it's all about it's all about the Lord. Yeah, it's there's yeah, and there's what he's talking to Jews and Gentiles here, and that time the Jews were still adhering to certain festivals and practices and culture, right? That in the end, are not detrimental to salvation if you understand them correctly. Uh, whereas the Gentiles, because they weren't, that's, that's, that's not necessarily their culture, there's a clash there, right? So, yeah, when you, when you have someone, like he says, you know, uh, in chapter, four verse, or chapter 14, verse 4, who are you to judge someone else's servant? I mean, who's he talking about? Who is, who is the servant? Who's the someone else and someone else's servant? Let's start with that one. All people? 
Well, when he's when he's talking about uh, probably talking about Christ. About Christ. Well, when when there's divisions there, so let's 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 read it in context. So, chapter fourteen, verse four. Um, just to start at the first verse, receive one who is weak in the faith, but do not but not to disputes over doubtful things. For one believes he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats only vegetables. Let not him who eats despise him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has received him. Who are you to judge another's servant? To his own master he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand, for God is able to make him stand. Right? And he goes on, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. I mean, the person, when he says, who are you to judge another's servant? He's saying, who are you to judge someone else who belongs to God? Your fellow. Right. We're, we're the servants. Yeah, we're the servants, yeah. And the someone else is God himself, right? Yeah. So yeah, um, when he's saying... Uh, when you are focused on the external things only, you've got to, you, your, your focus is not on the right things necessarily. Um, because when it comes to, th- and, and we have to be wise about these things, because there are some things of culture that can be, can be stumbling blocks. Like what they talked about, meat sacrificed, to idols, and Paul said, if it doesn't, it basically comes down to conscience. If it doesn't bother your conscience, you know, then don't worry about it. But if it's bothering the conscience of your brother, then maybe you should abstain for his sake. You know, so it's like, it depends. And so it all assumes that you're in close communion with the person next to you to know whether or not that's really bothering their conscience. And to know how to address it according to their conscience and your conscience and try to find some reconciliation there on common ground according to God, right? So, uh, but this is aimed at somebody who has a bad attitude and has no real basis in themselves for condemning someone else, right? It's not like, it's not like someone is, is, sacrif- is, is still having their pagan altars at home and sacrificing meat and things like that to the false gods. If that were the case, he'd like he'd say, you're right to rebuke them. They're they are not being Christians. But if they are not adhering to certain dietary laws that the Jews were used to and the Gentiles aren't, you know, then those things are those things are flexible, right? And those things should be understandable. Uh, and that, you know, God doesn't judge based on those things anymore. The covenant has been fulfilled in Christ in that sense. So it takes wisdom. Paul is making a very general exclamation here that we need to take and apply with wisdom uh, because there might be some practices that would be detrimental, uh, but there is freedom in a lot, in a lot of things. We can't, we can't just say that you know everything is so cut and dry yeah so yeah so someone who's judging someone else's servant and by judging we mean on a salvation level saying that well because you don't eat kosher you're damned right or because you don't keep the passover like 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 we have for a long time you're damned right uh or and vice versa right because you keep the passover 
you're damned. Or because you keep kosher laws, you're damned. And no, it doesn't work that way, right? There must be some freedom in these things. Uh, because, you know, on a much more modern level, uh, on, a, on a, a much more, not modern, a much more contemporary level, we just, as the LCMS, uh, announced fellowship with, I think, uh, a Lutheran church in, I want to say Kenya. I could be wrong about that. But, I mean, what if, what if we were to go over there and say, you know, uh, it's like, yeah, you're using the Lutheran service book, right? But you're, but you're not, but you're worshiping in a building that doesn't have walls, you know, because that's what happens. They don't, you know, you, you, you go to these uh, churches in, in Africa and things are open air most of the time. And, and, but they're still wearing vestments and they're still doing things that look very similar to where if we were to go over there, we would feel actually very at home in a lot of ways. But we, but we'd say, we well, don't have stained glass. Come on. Well, like, even, yeah. You know, you're just setting up a stumbling block yeah. for, for their entry, which right. is, which is talked about in 13. But anyway, yeah. Um, I mean, maybe close to home, you have to be immersed in baptism or sure. it doesn't work. Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's not biblical. That's not what it said. You know, uh, I mean, that's an option. It's yeah, not so much the way as it is the word that's right. applied with the water. Yeah, yeah. But there are that's a lot, true. There are a lot of instances. A absolutely. Like that. Absolutely. Sometimes find, you know, it's a, it's a warning for us as well mm -hmm. because we sometimes set up ways we get so set in our ways that we set up the stuff and you know like i said it 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 requires it requires discernment and wisdom to be able to see if we are and how we are or how we might be or how we're not if somebody's accusing us of that you know to be able to defend ourselves saying you know so let's say somebody who's who's baptist wants to come and join who who is formerly Baptist, wants to come our church, come to our church. They were never baptized in the Baptist church. Let's just start there, okay? So they want to be baptized in our church. And they'll say, but I must be immersed. <clears throat> I mean, I, I know of, well, well, first of all, the question would be, why? Right? Let's talk about why you want to be immersed first and why you're so adamant about it before I take you down to... You know, uh, or bef before I bring in or go out to the courtyard and have a trough brought in with water so we dunk you in. Or, you know, seriously, before before we talk about how we're going to do this, let's talk about what the reason is for you wanting that so badly. And if and and if it's because you believe that's the only way to be baptized, and everybody who's not baptized that way is not validly baptized or truly baptized, we got to talk about that beforehand. Uh, because that's not necessarily the case. Um, and if we go through it and we say it is a true baptism, whether it's poured on your forehead or you're dunked in, dunked beneath the water, and you still are adamant, you say, I know that, Pastor, but I really would like to be uh, fully immersed because I believe it's a beautiful way of seeing baptism and death and new life and things like that, then I would say, well, then let's talk about how we can make that happen. But if you just simply say that's the only, you know, you have to be wise about these yeah, things. You have to like, get to yeah, yeah, you have to be discerning. And that's kind of what Paul is getting at here, too. It's like you have to be in 
in, um, in, in, in actual communion with the people next to you to have these discussions. You have to really uh, be a part of their lives so much that you can say, well, I know that you have this hang up because of such and such because we've talked about it before. And therefore, I'm going to not necessarily, let's, let's say, you know, I'm not going to have a beer around you because I know that you struggle with alcohol or something like that or I'm not going to <laughs> have have cake around you because I know you're trying to get rid of sugar or whatever in your life. It's whatever it is. You know, we just know each other so well that we know each other's stumbling blocks and we don't judge each other because of it, but we do encourage each other through them and in spite of them. So, yeah, absolutely. And he was able to have that communion because he treated both of their traditions the same. Kind of in a, in a way. Yeah, he you know, you're, he gave them both credence. He gave them both credence. Yeah, but not not absolute. Right. Pivotal. He didn't he didn't show partiality. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what I got yeah. out of it was that he was gently chastising the Jews and saying that you know yeah you've got all this heritage and all these traditions and what have you. Yeah. But these people, you know, they believe in in the gospel and what I'm preaching to them. And they're not comfortable doing all this stuff, and it's just adiaphora. It doesn't make any difference. If you want to do it, that's fine, but don't demand that they do it. Mm. Live together in union and worship the same Christ and believe the traditional doctrines that we're professing. Yeah. That's the word. Adiaphora? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, although, and, and we have to be very careful in what we mean by adiaphora. Because adiaphora is not just something you can take or leave. Right. Um, neither commanded or... Right. Uh, how we understand adiaphora... I mean, we can look at this later, but when we look at uh, the Book of Concord and what it says about adiaphora, it makes it very clear that um, adiaphora... In, in, I think it's in, the, in, in one of the declarations of the formula of Concord, either the solid or the epitome or something like that. I need to read revisit it, but it says um, basically that any, that if you want to introduce things that are silly or foolish or whatever into worship, then you can't necessarily say we're going to do it because it's only adiaphora. It's got to teach something about Jesus. It's got to teach something about what Christ has done for you. So it's basically like saying if you want to have a special time in the service where we all just stop what we're doing and have donuts <laughs> or a cake or whatever, it's just like, well, what does that have to do with Jesus? Right? And I'm using something extremely silly, right? So, but it takes wisdom. It takes understanding. It wouldn't be right for us as Lutherans to say that, well, in order to be a member of our church, you have to eat bratwurst with us on Reformation Day. That's a binding thing. It's like, what does that have to do with anything, Right. What does that have to do with anything? I mean, really, it, it yeah, certain certain points of culture that have nothing to do with really salvation itself is really the main main point um, because we have to understand freedom according to the gospel. That um, well, first of all, we have to understand that there are certain points of culture that need to be addressed and others that can be. Uh, I guess tolerated on some level, right? But some that need to be addressed, we have to we have to be so. It's, we could talk on and on and on and on about what all these things could be, 
it's really very situational. So I don't want to go off too much into all these scenarios so that we could just hash that to death because we still need to get through some other parts. But the basic principle is uh, whether or not these things are necessary for salvation, uh, whether or not, yeah, whether or not they actually confess Christ well or at all. Yeah. So things to consider on those fronts. Um, I keep thinking about the thief on the cross. How does that play here? And, and you know, even the uh, portals of prayer today was about weak faith. And, yeah. You know, I think about the thief on the cross. It looks like he had faith, but maybe it was weak. But, uh -huh. but, but Jesus recognized faith whether it's weak or strong. Right. And weak faith is not a disqualifier for uh, salvation. Yeah. Right. Well, it's I, really... I have a problem with that anyway. What's that? Weak, weak and strong faith. You okay. either have faith or you don't. There is no weak or strong. No, there is, there is weak or strong, but it just... I mean, it, it's... And I got this from Pastor Wolf Mueller, and I think it's a great way to do it. It's like faith... The strength of faith shouldn't really matter. It's what your faith is holding on to that really matters. Right. Uh, but if someone, I mean, it does matter in the sense that if someone is so weak in their faith, they're fragile. And if there are certain things that you would do to cause them to stumble or for them to loosen their grip on Christ, then you need to be more mindful about what you're doing around them versus someone who is stronger in their hold on Christ. But our strength in our faith is not what matters. What really, really matters is what our faith is in, what we trust in. Because the thing is, is that it's, it's like, and like I said, I got this from Pastor Wolf Meal. I think it's a great, um, a great analogy. It's like two guys that are trying to cross, you'll probably remember this, right? Two guys that are trying to cross a frozen lake, right? And it's the dead of winter. And they're, they're trying to get from one side of the lake to the other. One guy has really strong faith and he gets on a snowmobile. And he says, I have faith that this lake is going to hold me and I'm going to make it to the other side. And he gets on the snowmobile. He just zooms across and he gets to the other side faster. The other guy has weak faith in the ice and he's like crawling across the ice trying to disperse his weight as much as he can. And the thing is, is that he gets to the other side anyways. He gets there slower but he still gets there. Now apply the same guys when it's beginning of springtime and the ice is really thin. The guy who has really strong faith and he says, again, I'm going to make it to the other side on this snowmobile. He gets in, he doesn't get far before he goes into the lake. The other guy sees that happen. He goes, well, that's why I'm being cautious. And he's skirting across or whatever, crawling as, as wide as he can be. And then he still falls through as well because what their faith was in was not strong enough right? That it mattered how strong the ice was to get them across, not how strong their faith was in the ice. See what I'm saying? So if your faith is strong in Christ for salvation, that is much better than, let's just say something along the lines of yourself, right? Well, but still, I mean, yeah. faith is faith. Yeah, it's trust. I mean, yeah. it's... You either have the right faith or you don't. Right. You have... You either have the right object of faith, right? And that's the point, the object of faith that it holds on to. Is it Jesus or is it something else? Yeah. Jesus, yeah. Jesus being the ice. 
That's right. So if you have your faith in something unshakable. Right. Something solid. Whether it's weak or strong, it's still solid. Absolutely. For you. That's right. That's right. So that hopefully that guy who's crawling across the ice might at least get up and crawl a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Or walk. Or whatever. You know. Yeah. So yeah. All right. Let's keep going on here. Um, In your own words, summarize Paul's point in chapter 14, verses 7 through 8. Summarize that for us if you can. How would you summarize uh, chapter 14, verses 7 through 8? We belong to Christ. Whether we live or die, we belong to Christ. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, What does it have to do with each other, though? We didn't ask that question. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kind of adding to it because, because it is about Christ. Well, he shows the differences up above that, and then he comes, you know, the important thing. Here again, the important thing is we put our faith and trust in the Lord. Right. Um, but we want our friends or our family to believe in Christ, and, and not all of them always do. And so you can give them examples of why they should, but still sometimes it, it just falls on deaf ears. They just think... Well, that's nice. It makes you happy, but I'm fine. Yeah, I know. And that's 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 a sad thing that happens sometimes, mm-hmm. often sometimes. So when it comes to, yeah, we, we belong to Christ, right? We who trust in Christ belong to him. But, the, but does that mean that we're alone in that belonging to Christ? Because no. it says... No, he, in this case, he's saying both parties that we've talked about both belong right. to Christ. Yeah. And that's the important thing. Yeah, for none... None of us lives to himself alone, and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. And that means we also, we belong to the Lord, and therefore, if we are in the Lord, we belong to each other as well. Yeah. What keeps coming back to me is what Christ said. Love one another as I have loved you. Mm -hmm. And as we'll see this coming Sunday, as we see, as we'll see this coming Sunday, when the Pharisees ask Jesus in Matthew's gospel, um, "What is what is the greatest commandment?" and he says, "You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your uh, mind, and with all your soul, and with all your strength." Right? I think Matthew leaves out strength. It's kind of interesting. I won't get into that now. And then he says, "And the second is like it: love your neighbor as yourself." Right? So, and then he says, "On these two." Commandments hang the entirety of the law and the prophets, right? So yeah, uh, love God, love your neighbor. That's the law that is fulfilled in Christ because, and when it's fulfilled in Christ, we who trust in him belong to him and we belong to each other in a way that's very different than it was before. It's no longer an obligation to fulfill. It is a duty to uphold in joy. Right, um, something that is done already in Christ, and like you said, love each other as I have loved you. It begins with Christ. 
right? And it, and it ends with Christ through our neighbors as well, through our brothers and sisters in Christ too, okay? Um, so that next question that Paul asks, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? What's the answer to that question? And we see that there's, there's a reference to chapter 14, verses 1 through 3, for kind of an answer if you want to find one. We already kind of touched on this, but go ahead and summarize it a little bit. What are they fighting about? Stupid stuff. <laughs> Specifically, what are they fighting about, though? Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of silly well, in the grand scheme of things. They were fighting over eating meat that had been um, given to idols, and other people wanted to just eat vegetables because they wanted to make sure they were not eating this meat. Right, they were trying to be like Daniel in the uh -huh. Old Testament, right? In some, in some sense, I mean, maybe that was the inspiration or the the example to follow. Um, uh, but if that's the case, and they've already had this discussion, Romans, the book of Romans is written later in that they've already had this, uh, they've already had this dispute brought before the count the council in Jerusalem, right? Uh, they've already had this dispute brought forward and it has been shown that, you know, the Gentiles should be, um, the Gentiles should be, uh, accepted in by faith and the, the eating of meat and things like that, sacrifice to idols and all, all these things were taken into account. Um, and it's been resolved. And so he's saying you're fighting about vegetables, basically. You're fighting about vegetables. Stupid stuff. <laughs> what you should be focused on no it's fine what you should be focused on is conscience right should be focused on conscience first and foremost oh. um, and they are talking about conscience on some level but in the wrong way they're only concerned about their own conscience as opposed to the conscience of their brothers yeah yeah because um, we as Christians our goal is to build up our brother and not tear him down right and the only reason why we would want to address an issue that we are having a problem with in our own conscience is to have a resolution, right? is to have a reconciliation possibly. It's never to point fingers and say, well, you're different from us and therefore, or whatever. It's not for division at the, at, is the most general way to say it. It's for unity and uh, reconciliation if necessary and and peace, you know? So what's the point of you bringing up that your brother eats the meat and you don't, right? What's the point of you bringing up how you hold certain days sacred and they hold every day the same? Should, is it for reconciliation? Than yeah, it, it depends, right? Is it, is or, is, it, or is it to get to know someone else better? Well, yeah, or is it to get to know somebody else better? Is it to get on the same page? Is it to be holding things in common by faith, or is it to cause division? So things, things to consider for sure. So conscience needs to be taken into effect here, uh, taken into account. Okay, let's keep moving on here. Um, so 
How does the title Paul uses to describe a congregational member uh, in chapter 14, verses 10, 15, and 21, ease tensions, um, ease tensions and emphasize the need to resolve the dispute? What does he call them? Brothers, sisters. Yeah. Yeah. Brothers. Uh, when we see, uh, yeah, it's brethren, right? The brotherhood. Um, what's, how does, how does that ease the dispute? God, God's going to be our final judge. Okay. Yeah, God's going to be our final judge. Uh, based on our, uh, I guess, familial ties to him or not, right? Um, when you bring up the familial ties of brothers and sisters and things like that, how might that be different than saying, you know, well, uh, my friend or my acquaintance, in the faith, <laughs> my friend in the faith, my acquaintance in the faith, as opposed to my brother in the faith. How, how does that make it different? I know with Nancy, people have asked me, oh, well, you know, is, is this your sister or, you know, is this your, is this your mother or whatever, right. you know? And I say, no, we're sisters in Christ. There you go. And that just makes her feel so good, feel so connected. Mm -hmm. So it has to do with connection, I guess, mm -hmm. the question that you just asked. Yeah, it has to do with your relationship in that sense, the, the, the ties, the connections. Yeah. Is the tie weakened when you say, oh, this is my acquaintance in the faith? Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's cold. As opposed to, this is my brother, this is my sister in the faith, you know? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Uh, and that's the point, right? He's trying to point out, these are brothers, right? You're, when, you, when you bring into effect the brothers, who immediately do you reference? If there are brothers, there has to be a relationship, right? But as far as a familiar relationship, there has to be a father. And so you have a father in heaven, you have, and your and your brother is Christ Himself, your big brother, as it were. Your big brother is Christ Himself. You are co-heirs with Christ now by faith. So when that is the case, when you bring into the familial aspect of things, the tie is so strong you don't want to throw it away easily. You don't want to sever those ties quickly. You want to hold on to them. And to emphasize the familial bond is to remind people the strength of the tie uh, and that it's worth bearing with each other through whatever weaknesses or shortcomings or whatever you might have for the sake of the bond that you have. Yeah. Any thoughts on that before we go on to the next part? And you're no better than your brother. What's that? You're no better than your brother. Yeah, you're all you, equal in Christ's eyes. Right. We're equal in the eyes of the Lord. Right. You will all receive the same... Uh, you will all receive the same benefits by faith. Yeah. You will all be given the crown of life uh, by faith. Yeah. 
Definitely. Okay, so Romans 14, 17 gets to the heart of the matter and borrows words from Paul's uh, earlier teaching. The kingdom of God, or God's rule, stands in sharp contrast to the rules of men and their results. Though Paul wants members of the congregation to be sensitive to one another, he also points out the truth that Christians are free because Christ has set them free and filled them with peace and joy. Paul encourages peace and mutual edification, that's uh, building up, right, in light of such problems. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak, live in harmony with, with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, in chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. So how can one distinguish between a disputable matter, that's chapter 14, verse 1, and a genuine threat to congregational life. See that in uh, chapter 15, verse 4. How can you distinguish between a disputable matter and a genuine threat to congregational life? Uh, the Word. Yeah. Um, the Word of God, right? Uh, what is it? What is what does the word of God give us? Uh, gives us the answer. Yeah. What does he say in chapter fifteen, verse four? For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. So if somebody is coming to you and saying to you, or you know, you find out that they're, you know, let's use something. I don't, I don't know. It, we can we can say a number of things, but let's let's just go very contemporary and say, um, you know, uh, if there was somebody uh, I'm trying to think, do y'all do y'all have any examples of something that would actually be a threat to congregational life? Instead of, have, instead of putting me on the spot, how about I put you all on the spot? What do you all think might be an actual threat according to Scripture for congregational life? Have open communion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Having, that's destroyed having, a number of congregations. Having people adamant about it and saying that... Well, God's adamant about it. Yeah. Gossip. Sure. Yeah, the, and the Bible talks about gossip. I mean, it doesn't seem like it's all that harmful, but it it is. I mean, Paul Paul even tells uh, Paul even tells I think Timothy or Titus. I I'm sorry, I don't quite remember which one. But when he's talking to them, these are young pastors that he's trying to guide, and he says um, he says uh, to admonish the older women to. Uh, to uh, to teach the young women how to tend to their families and their households and things like that that will keep them from gossip and being busybodies, right? Because that will tear apart a congregation. It can. Um, and when you have little whisperings, as opposed to coming, the, if you have people talking about each other behind their behind other people's backs. 
Are you treating them as brothers and sisters? Are you going to them with legitimate concerns and worries or fears or gripes or whatever so that you can work things out? Or are you doing something else? That is for sure something to consider. Um, there are ways to resolve things, and reconciliation is what we're all about, right? So yeah, we should, we should seek those things uh, above, above just kind of venting for the sake of venting and getting it off our chest or whatever it is, you know, whatever the reason behind it might be. For sure. Anything else? Difficult to resolve opinion. Difficult, what's that? Difficult to resolve opinion. Well, okay, yeah, and that, and that all depends on what your opinions are, right? Yeah, yeah. If it's non-biblical, you know, and you're yeah. about it, then, I mean, like, you can't resolve it. Yeah, I mean, the classic, the classic thing to say is, like, a disputable matter is the color of the carpet in the sanctuary, right? <laughs> That's a disputable matter. What's not a disputable matter is to say, you know, um... What's not a disputable matter is to say something along the lines of uh, maybe, I'm trying to think, uh, whether or not, yeah, the, the body and blood of Christ are really present in the sacrament, or whether or not holy baptism really delivers the forgiveness of sins and the power of the Holy Spirit and faith and all these things. What's that? Or, or whether or not you should have wine versus grape juice. That's still a problem in a lot of congregations. They'll still have grape juice, and um, I, I, I feel for the people who, I feel for the the pastors that are dealing with that. And some people might say, "Well, that's indifferent." It's like, well, what is it? Welch didn't create grape juice. They didn't have the ability to pasteurize grape juice back in the Bible's days. So it's like yeah. our yeah. last church when they had communion. In the very center of the plate, mm -hmm. those were grape juice. Yeah. And it was because the, the pastor knew there were alcoholics in the congregation. Yeah, that's another that's another issue, you know. That's mm -hmm. something that needs to be dealt with wisely. And mm -hmm. I'm not, I'm, I'm sympathetic to alcoholics who are trying to stay clean and sober and things like that. But, well, not just, not really, but I feel, I feel for them. However, if, if, if you're that concerned about a small amount of wine throwing you off the deep end and off the wagon, then maybe you should abstain from the sacrament because what you receive in the sacrament is barely enough to metabolize. So, and, and, and there's, there's arguments for saying you should receive it because it's not just wine, right. the blood of Christ, right. right? If it were just wine, then maybe I could say, you know, or say, if it's really bothering your conscience so badly, maybe we should abstain until we can discuss things, things further. Right? Well, what about water? What about water? The people that say they can't take wine, give them water in communion. Because when they, when they pierce Christ's side, water and blood. Okay, well, I mean, that's a little... Well, that reasoning I'm not, I'm not so sold on. But there's, there's practice to dilute wine, for sure. Uh, but, but see, that's kind of, pardon my expression, half-assed. <laughs> <laughs> You're forgiven. Um, yeah. Is that a scientific term? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's one of those things. Um, because, because I think 
let's just let's just say this like I think that Alcoholics Anonymous has done a lot of people a lot of good mm-hmm. something like that but a prevailing thought in Alcoholics Anonymous is that to stay sober you cannot have one drop of alcohol total abstention total abstention and when you do that I've heard of a pastor a Lutheran pastor who is in a who is in a, um, Alcoholics Anonymous and he had a fight with his sponsor who was a Methodist I think about whether or not he should receive wine the blood, uh, the blood of Christ in Holy Communion. And the Lutheran pastor, thankfully, was on the side of saying, but it's not just wine. It's the blood of Christ. And the Lord is not going to lead me astray for something that he has promised to bless me with. Right? That if I understand that it's not me going and having a glass of wine at the bar, if I understand it's not me taking a shot in the privacy of my own home or whatever, I understand that I am receiving this and the body of Christ for the forgiveness of my sins, that makes a big difference. And when we focus on that more than whether or not there's alcohol, that might make the difference. But someone who's weak in that, you don't want to just say, you take it or you get out. Mm-hmm. That's not the point, right? You say, bear with us and we'll bear with you and we'll talk about it, right? Well, because obviously this is bothering your conscience and we need to address it. Right? But we're not also going to just make a quick change to full, full communion practice by saying, we're going to give you grape juice. Right? No, but I like watering it down. You might be able to. Um, how far you go is another okay. question. So that's, not these are all matters for of... everybody, but just for that one particular yeah. person, just take that one yeah. cup and put it half water and half wine. You remember strange things from back when you were <laughs> in confirmation. <laughs> one of the things I remember was talking about this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the pastor's explanation, you know, great old Lutheran pastor used to ride the circuit in Calgary on a horse. Um, so they wet their lips with the wine. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. That okay. was his... Because, I mean, thought watering it down is. I don't have to drink alcohol. You never want to compromise. It's one of these things. People, people will say, "Well, how much do you want to split hairs?" Mm-hmm. And I'd say, "Well, let's be as faithful as we can be to the elements and the institution." And you know, there's just there's just ways you go too far, and so Christ turned water into wine anyway. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I think I think I think the alcohol content is beside the point is what I'm trying to get at. The alcohol content is beside the point. It's negligible. Well, it's beside the point because what matters is what's being delivered That's besides right. the alcohol content. Yeah. If, 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 no, we have a heavy duty stuff here. It's for germs. Yeah. If you were an alcoholic, maybe some of it is psychological. I think a lot of it has to be psychological. Psych- if you gave them a glass of grape juice and said, this is wine, you might have the same. I don't know about I don't that. Know. Maybe. I, I, think, I think maybe there might be some psychological component to that as well, that, that they like to have the taste of wine again might make them crave it or something like that. It's not the actual alcohol that's making them whatever. So. But that's why you have to deal with people on a one-to-one basis, and you have to say, well, this is the practice of our congregation that we use wine, and that's what, and that's, that's what we use. If, you, if, if this is bothering your conscience, let's talk about it. And let's try and find a way that this will not be harmful to your conscience. So yes, that's why all the ministers believe in, or in, in stress from all the people that yeah. are suffering from 
alcoholism. Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. And as far as having the strong stuff, I mean, it's the blood of Christ. You want to feel a little oomph when you drink it, right? So, uh, that's a little joke. Anyways, uh, so, yeah, but you base these things on Scripture, right? And that's one of the things you can you can appeal to with, you know, communion wine, whether... And, let, and we're not even going to get into it, but yes, there is a debate on gluten-free wafers, all right? There's a debate on whether or not you can have rice wafers or whatever, and whether that's faithful to the institution of the wheat and the bread and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> we won't get into that, right? Well, like that's, we that's something, huh? What, is ours gluten-free? No. But they are, there are gluten-free wafers, and there are, there are things like that. And, <laughs> I think that, yeah, so, yeah, this is all, all kinds of stuff to discuss, which we're not going to get into right now. Um, so, uh, that is to say, without, without reopening, <laughs> this next question, how can you not, without reopening controversy, briefly reflect on issues that have troubled your congregation, how much you make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification in the future? And what unifying activities does Paul describe in chapter 15, verses 6 and uh, verses 9 through 11? I'm going to assume that means personal reflect. Sure, if you want to personally reflect. Because reopening controversy doesn't do anyone any That's what I'm saying. Like, how can you not reopen controversy when you bring these things up? And the general comment is after you've been through that and come out the other side, you wonder why. It ever happened to begin with. Was it worth it? No. Now, there could be instances where someone comes into the situation and strengthens your faith. Mm-hmm. And I think we've had things in the past where that happened. So I like to think on the positive end of it, when you come out the other side, you've all learned something about your faith, mm-hmm. about your fellowship with each other and forgiveness and we've there are some real good people in the Lutheran church that have come in and from the Senate and come in and and uh, and done that so hopefully that's the way it mostly comes out yeah mm-hmm. well I mean there's I was reading about this this week um, the idea of testing God has a way of testing us uh, to strengthen us, right? Um, he doesn't, he does not, you know, God tempts no one, but he does test us in certain ways by allowing certain things to happen to where we have to evaluate where is our faith, right? Uh, where, where, where does our strength come from? You know, what is it that we gather in this place for? Is it, is it merely, you know, is it, is it merely social or is it, is social a, is, is the, so, and this is just me pointing out one thing, is the social benefit secondary or tertiary to gathering to hear the word of God, right? You also get the added benefit of the social aspect, but because the word of God is preached and the sacraments are given, that's the main reason. And sometimes we need to reevaluate, right? And Sadly, testing is a really good way to do that. <laughs> you know, we are we are sometimes put through controversy, and we may think at the time, oh, this was so needless. But sometimes, maybe on the other side of it, you say, but if it weren't for that, 
you know, I wouldn't have realized where my strength really comes from or, or something like that. There's, there, you know, Paul says in chapter eight, right, that all things work for the good of those who love him and who have called, been called according to his purpose, right? Even, even things in the moment that feel really, really bad, they can be used for good. Uh, but you have to take time to get on the other side of it and see that for what it is, right? Um, testing and refining the... What's the saying? The, the Sharpens the blade. Y- yeah, the, the hotter the fire, the stronger the steel, right? That's right. I mean, so, I mean that's not biblical, to test, but yeah. To, to get to purity, you have to test to find out whether it's pure or not. And so, I mean, in, in every Christian's life, <laughs> they get tested and tested mm-hmm. and tested to refine them and, and to make sure they're going down the right road. It, yeah, to it's, rely more and more on Christ and God. Right. It's to give every opportunity to deny the flesh, right? And the sinful and, and the sinful nature that clings to us and to rely more on God than ourselves. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we're not gonna go into issues that have troubled our congregation. But we will set what is what is a question? Um, so how might we make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual uh, mutual edification in the future? And what unifying activities does Paul describe in uh, chapter fifteen, verses six, uh, nine through eleven? Praising God in prayer. Yeah. Okay. Giving thanks and praise to God for what he has done. Praying to him when we need things. Absolutely. Um, what else? Potlucks. Potlucks? Yeah. <laughs> oh, sure. I mean, um, anytime anybody wants to do anything, I'm, 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 of, I'm of the mind to say, you know, what is, this, what is this going to do to strengthen our bonds, Right. And also, if you if you want to see it as possibly bringing people in, I want to focus people on saying, you know, potlucks, bingo, um, you know, doxology. Yeah, what? Doxology. Doxology. Yeah. Yeah. Doxology. Praise God from the morning. Yeah. That's how you start every. Yeah. Yeah. So when you when you, when you look at events like this or things you want to do with the congregation, it's like. How are we going to strengthen our bonds? And how and how is that going to if you bring a friend to like, hey, we're having bingo on Sunday, you want to come just kind of hang out, play bingo? Then how is that going to lead them to uh, to the pulpit, to the font, to the altar? And that isn't a hard question to ask, because if you say, well, how could what does bingo have to do? What does a potluck have to do with bringing people into the sanctuary? It's like when they see the bonds that we have, the more bonds that we have amongst each other, the more appealing it is to other people to say, I think I want to be a part of that, you know? And what is it that brings that bond together? And and it is what happens in the sanctuary and what flows out of it. And that includes potlucks and that includes... Bingo and cards. Small, and, yeah. small groups and Sons of Solomon, things like that. Mm-hmm. You get to know the people in the yeah. church. Yeah. It's primarily for us with the hopes that people coming in may see our bonds strengthened because of it. Right? Yeah. At least that's the philosophy that I'd, that I'd like to go with. Um, 
we we uh, we focus on each other so that others see how you know others will know us by our love, you know, in that sense too. That's not to say we can't do outreach. That's not to say that we can't do mission work and things like that. But uh, a big a big part of that is strengthening ourselves or strengthening our bonds so that when we go out, we are unified, right? It's all it all goes together. But we uh, activities we can maybe include are like a united confession of faith. Uh, praise and uh, singing together. I mean, Paul talks about that, right? That we should sing uh, um, psalms and spiritual songs, building each other up, um, trying to outdo one another in honor and things like that. You know, um, you know, being 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 brothers and sisters in Christ, building each other up. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that? I have one. <laughs> Our great-grandson, I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit is planting a seed in his mother. Uh, he likes, he came here to church with us, mm -hmm. and he liked the singing. Yeah. He liked all the chanting. Mm-hmm. Because he loved Three years me. old. Yeah. Three, three years, years old, yeah. Old. And he keeps telling, I want to go to church. I want to go to church. That's great. So, you know, these little kids. Oh yeah, They're, I mean they they soak it up. Yeah, it's kind of amazing, and and suffer the little children. It's kind of funny because if he likes the singing, I mean the singing itself is uh, uh, is is one thing, but what's being sung? That's the word of God. Uh -huh. Yeah, that's what's really doing it. I think, um, and like I said before. Charlotte is a, a sponge. She's already, not to brag, <laughs> she's already learned three hymns. She's already learned, uh, not like, Dear Christians, One and All Rejoices, ten verses long. She only knows like two or three verses, and she jumbles them up sometimes. But she knows, uh, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word, and she knows, um, Lord, thee I love with all my heart. She'll mix the verses up a little bit, but... I can't tell you how, and, and, it's, and it's, it's, it's not that we quiz her on these things, it's that we sing them with her or, you know, we just have played them on our phone or whatever, like recordings of the hymns, and she, and she knows it so well that we put her to bed every night, every night we put her to bed, and every morning when she wakes up, we have her on the monitor and we hear her singing, Lord, keep us steadfast in your word. Curb those who by deceit or sword would wrest the kingdom from your son and bring to naught all he has done. Oh, comforter of Christ. And she sings to her, her stuffed animals. And it's kind of funny how that works, isn't it? I mean, the kids just soak it up um and yeah the music is the music is uh, you know a big big beneficial medium for those things absolutely all right if you don't like music you want to enjoy heaven <laughs> yeah no, yeah or or if i can go even further it's like if you don't if you don't like what we do on sundays with singing and and everything like that Heaven's going to be a real bore for you because that's what it says that we do in Revelation and everything. They're singing continually night and day, singing praise and thanks to God Almighty. It's yep. like, that sounds a lot like church. 
<laughs> right? Yeah. All right. Ministry to the Gentiles. Uh, Paul rounds out his uh, reminder to the Romans with a with with a mission appeal. God calls his people not only to faith and sanctification, but also to 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 mission so that others might receive the benefits of the gospel. Once again, the pattern of, of living sacrifice appears. So what expressions of sacrifice does Paul use in uh, chapter 15, verse 16? What does he say there in uh, chapter 15, verse 16? be a minister of Christ Jesus mm -hmm. to the Gentiles. Yeah. How does, what kind of duty is that according to St. Paul? Or a service? What kind of service is that? Priestly, priestly service. Priestly service. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, his, his mission is a priestly service, a priestly duty. And what is his, priests do what? Evangelize. Well, yeah, they preach, but like priests in the Old Testament, at least, uh, their main job was to sacrifice. Right, offer sacrifice. Offer, offer sacrifice. Who is Paul's sacrifice in this? Jesus. Mm -hmm. What does he say there in verse 16? So that the offering of what? The Gentiles. The Gentiles. So that so he's gonna kill all the Gentiles? Yeah, sure. Uh, <laughs> no, no, because we talked earlier about how uh, we should be living sacrifices. Uh, now that the the service that is done in faith by the Gentiles that he is reaching out to will be a sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise and joy for what God has done in the sacrifice of Christ, right? That anything that, you know, it's like, it's, it's one of the things we Lutherans did uh, that we tried to do at least in reforming the church um, was that, and, and the Roman Catholics still do this, they will call mass, right? The sacrifice of the mass. Because what they believe is that they are spiritually re-sacrificing Christ on the altar and things like that, that... Uh, that what they are offering is like the unbloody sacrifice. You know, it's, it's all this re it's all this theological gymnastics to mean that they are making a new sacrifice, and that sacrifice is now the body and blood of Christ. And so we would say, no, that's not what we are doing. And what what is happening is that we are not making any kind of sacrifice on Sundays in Holy Communion, except. A sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving because the sacrifice has been made in Christ yeah and what we receive on the altar is the sacrifice that was made on the cross right by Christ himself what we partake of in Holy Communion is the crucified risen and the ascended body and blood of Christ yeah and that's not anything that we did that's everything that he did 
and continues to do, right? And all we simply do is sacrifice our thanksgiving and praise, saying thanks be to God that he has done such a wonderful thing for us. Yeah. So in that sense, St. Paul is putting within the context saying, the Gentiles are my sacrifice, in that I tell them about Christ, you know, I tell them about what he has done, and they give sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise, being a new creature in Christ. Yeah? We can keep going on and on and on about that. What do you have? Do you have, do you have any thoughts about that? They're talking about putting the old flesh to death mm -hmm. and then the new eternal life has begun in them. Which verses are you seeing on that one? I'm looking at the footnote. Uh-huh. <laughs> the the footnote. 16. Yeah, the, the footnote, uh, in the study note in uh, the Lutheran Study Bible on 1516. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. You and, and part of that... And I think I mentioned this last time. Our sacrifice of thanksgiving and praise is a sacrifice because we are recognize we are denying our flesh to thank God for what He has done. Right? Our flesh inherently does not want to thank God. Right? So we have to deny our flesh and say, "It's not about what we do. It's about what Christ has done." Yeah. So that's I think that's exactly right. They quote from the. The Apology of the Augsburg Confession, Article 24, where it says, The Gentiles may be offerings acceptable to God through faith. In the law, the slaying of victims illustrated both Christ's death and the preaching of the gospel, by which this old flesh should be put to death and new and and new and 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 eternal life be begun in us. So that's from the Book of Concord there. So yeah, um, uh, yeah, putting to death the old self for the sake of the new man to come forth. Yeah, and that for us as Lutherans, we understand that as remembering our baptisms too, right? Every single day, the old man should be drowned so that the new man can come forth, right? That is a sacrifice of the old self so that we may live new lives. And that's, uh, we can go on and on and on and on and on and on, not, but we won't do that. There's so many things we can come up with, all, all the different ways that we are living sacrifices. Okay? How about the next question? Describe Paul's boasting and ambition in verses 15, in, in, in chapter 15, verses 17 through 22. Where does Paul say these things come from? Boasting and ambition. So what kind of boasting and ambition is he talking about there? His ministry. His yeah, preaching who, the gospel to all the Greeks and whoever. Yeah. All his travels. Yeah, who does he boast in? Christ. Himself? No. no. Christ. 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 Holy Spirit. Right. And where does his ambition come from? Himself? Probably the Holy Spirit. Yeah. The Spirit of God. Yeah. Um, uh, therefore I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus and the things which pertain to God for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient in mighty signs 
Uh, right? Yeah. In mighty signs and wonders by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and round about to Illyricum I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. And so I have made it my aim to preach the gospel, not where Christ was named, lest I should build on another man's foundation, but as it is written, to whom he has not announced they shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. This reason I also have been much hindered from coming to you. So, um, yeah, it's all about boasting in the success of uh, the, the mission to the Gentiles, what Christ is doing, uh, and attributing it all to him, right? Uh, yeah. So, uh, as an apostle, Paul's preaching of the gospel was accompanied by what power? And don't just say the power of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> His faith. Okay. Uh, what sort of, what does he say there uh, in uh, chapter 15, verse 19? What does he God's say? Word. What's that? God's word. Okay. It's God's word. Um, well, the signs of the true apostle. Right. The, the miracles. Right. For the the apostolic calling and authority was accompanied with power of signs and miracles. And you see that in 2 Corinthians 12, 12, um, where St. Paul also writes, Truly the signs of an apostle were accomplished among you with all perseverance in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. Right? I've seen this with my own eyes. Yeah. I mean, was it Peter and John... Healing people outside the temple, and um, uh, the the poor guy who fell out of the window while Paul was preaching late into the evening and died, and then Paul brought him back to life, you know, by the power of God. I mean, the, all all those things were signs and wonders uh, to show the apostolic calling and authority. But now, you know, we we lowly pastors are in that apostolic office, but it is only an office of the word and the sacraments that God does through those great signs and wonders of holy baptism, confession, absolution, and uh, uh, holy communion, right? Um, thoughts on that before we go on to this last question? No? All right, so... How does Paul describe prayer in chapter 15, verse 30? And what, Im what implication might this have for your practice as a congregation? So let's start with that first one. How does Paul describe prayer in 1530? He's asking for prayers from the congregation on his behalf. Yeah, um, on his behalf, meaning... To give him the strength and the wisdom to mm -hmm. continue preaching and spreading on good news. Is what they're praying for... I guess... Um, I don't know how to say that... I don't know how to ask this without giving away the answer. But, so, let me just say... By praying, the congregation is joining with Paul in his struggle. Right? He's saying, um, I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ and through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with 
me, right? With me in prayers to God for me. Um, this highlights the importance of prayer for the mission of the gospel, right? That if we have, if there's a missionary overseas or, you know, even a, someone uh, who's trying to reach out, you know, somewhere in Texas, even it's closer by, that we know that they are doing God's work in spreading the gospel, um, not, only we, not only would it be good for us to financially support them, but to pray for them and with them is essential. It is paramount. Uh, and therefore, we, uh, we join with them in those things. Um, what implication might this have for your practice as a congregation? Pray, Pray for your pastor. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Pray for your church and for missionaries. Uh-huh. Yeah. What about so we who are here right now uh, in the flesh? I see y'all on Sundays as well. We pray as a church on Sundays. What do we do with the folks who can't make it on Sundays? Are they just kind of out of luck? Too bad you can't come? You pray for them and you also make a video of you. Yeah. What can they do? Pray. They can pray, pray too. Send money. <laughs> <laughs> they can... <laughs> yeah. They, they can pray too. Yes. Yeah. Tithes and offerings are important too, but they can pray too. And so that's, that's you know, people that there's, there's often the temptation for folks who are uh, shut in or in uh, nursing homes or hospitals or whatever. They'll say, what good can I do? I can't get out of this bed. I can't get out of this room. I can't do all the things that would be beneficial to other people. And so my main encouragement to them is you can pray. And that means a lot. In fact, everybody else who is doing something with their hands and their feet and talents and treasures and everything like that, if they're not praying, they're falling short. Right? Are in vain. Well, I mean, I don't know if they're in vain, but I, that's for God to decide and use and whatever. But if they're not praying first and foremost, they're missing out. You know, uh, you never praying. And that is, and that is something that also our, our Lutheran confessions talk about too. Luther himself says, you know, the first response for Christians in anything, whether struggle, joy, tribulation, hardship, you know, um, good times or whatever, the first response of Christians is always prayer. Always. That is one of the first marks of a Christian, right? Do we pray? Praise and give thanks. Yeah. So yeah, if we're doing all this other stuff, but we're not praying, oh, gotta 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 up that game a little bit. And it can start small, you know, before you place your offering in the in the plate or whatever, or before you go and set up tables or something like that. Say a little prayer. God may this be for your glory. Or if you're getting ready to do something that you are concerned about, yeah, first thing you do. Is Ask for pray. Ask for God's help. Right. Mm-hmm. So that yeah. you can do it effectively. Yeah. So that He would be with you, and and that, as Jesus says to His disciples, 
Do not be concerned about what you will say because the Holy Spirit will give you the words. Now, uh, it's kind of funny because was it um, my wife is very, she's very humble about these things. But, you know, she had a, a discussion with her cousin one time who's not a Christian. And um, they were they they went up on Enchanted Rock to kind of talk and spend some time together when she was here uh, over a year. I guess it was last year sometime. And and she said, I was praying the whole time, God, just help me, give me strength to say what I got to say. And she said, while she was having that conversation, she said some hard things that she's like, I, that wasn't me. Like, it's not that I was like, it's not that I lost self-control or anything like that, but those were God's words based on what I knew from scripture. You know, it's like, I just kind of made them my own. And the Holy Spirit guided me in that way to say the things that I know to be true from his word. Yeah. So um, that's, yeah, pray for God's guidance. Uh, because, and even if you don't think that you're a Bible scholar or you know enough about the Bible to talk to people about it, you'd be kind of surprised the things that you might recall that the Holy Spirit may bring to mind in the midst of a conversation with somebody who needs to hear a certain word of encouragement or admonition or whatever. Yeah. Be surprised. Be surprised. That's why you should be here. Bible study. Yeah, come to church, come to Bible study, have, you know, read your Bible every day, Sons of Solomon, we read our treasury of daily prayer every day, which has Old Testament and New Testament Psalms, things like that, right? So whatever, uh, be in the word and it will dwell within you richly. Uh, but yeah, pray, praise, and give thanks. Um, so words to remember. For the kingdom of God is not a matter. Uh, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Romans fourteen seventeen. Uh, for next week, prepare for uh, the closing session. Uh, read uh, Romans sixteen, um, and come ready and prepared to discuss. All right. Yeah, I'm looking forward to having not having to eat anymore. Not have what's that? Oh, what? Not having to eat. In where? Heaven. Where? In heaven? Yeah. Or in the new creation? Either or both. Um, who's to say we're not going to eat? That's right. I think we are going to eat. Well, I mean, potluck. <laughs> perfect potluck. Moses didn't eat, didn't eat anything or drink anything for eighty days, and yeah, he survived. So. But Adam and Eve, they, they have a lot to eat and drink in the uh, Garden of Eden. We'll see. So, it's nothing to worry about. But only oh, he's not worried. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. only, if, only if you want to. If you don't want to eat, you don't have to. Yeah, yeah that's all right. It, it won't be because of hunger. It'll be because of joy. That's because of lust. Alrighty. Well, um, oh, there's another hour. You can talk. Yeah. <laughs> we'll turn the recorder off for that one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, how about let's go ahead and close with the Lord's Prayer. Um, uh, taught, sorry, taught by our Lord and trusting His promises, we are bold to pray. Our, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. In thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, 
as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. 